listening to the CIPD podcast series. Small or medium-sized businesses with ambition want to evolve and grow, but how do you keep your people engaged as the organisation changes around them? The CIPD has been looking at that question and it's identified four key stages that SMEs pass through as they mature and the different HR opportunities and challenges each one presents. Dr Jill Miller led the research and when I met up with her, she explained how the four stages work. Our research has shown there are four stages of SME growth or SME transition. The first one we've termed entrepreneurial edge, which really reflects the start-up phase of an organisation. The workforce is still very small. People management will be looked after by the owner, founder typically. It's really an informal and very flexible organisation at this stage. The next stage we reach, we term emerging enterprise. This is where the organisation starts to get a bit of structure and process put in place. And the workforce is at a size where we need a bit of formalisation. And sometimes this could be a tipping point where the owner-founder decides to bring somebody in to look after the people aspects of the business, whether that's a HR person or perhaps an office manager doing some great people management stuff. The next stage is consolidating organisation. This stage is very much about taking a step back, reflecting and improving on where you've got to with your growth so far. And it's at this point we start thinking much more clearly about the long-term organisation. And at the consolidating organisation stage, it's likely that that you'd have a a HR manager or HR advisor in place. Um, Your workforce is typically going to be quite large at, at this point. The final stage um, of SME growth we've identified is called established organisation. This is where typically you have all the the HR processes and policies in place. But what's really um, defining this stage is the attention that's given to the more intangible people management issues, such as culture. Um, The importance of knowledge sharing and collaboration really comes to the fore. In theory, these four stages seem very clear. However, from the helm of a small or medium-sized company, it can be tricky to identify exactly which stage your organisation is at. Here's Jill Miller again. Our research has shown there's some really key tipping points along the way where where different processes um, are needed or practices are needed to be put in place. And there's some tipping points we identify where practices that have worked to date are no longer really effective for the business's long-term performance. And we're hoping through the research model that that helps people look ahead to these tipping points um, and anticipate what needs to be put in place now, which is going to make the growth more sustainable for for the long term. And what characterises those tipping points? How would they know when they were there? I think that there comes a point where the organisation has so far rested on the owner-founders' personality, their vision and values to guide where we're going. But sometimes that the organisation comes to a, a size with the workforce where the owner-founder doesn't see people in person every day anymore. Um, and so to keep that personal connection alive is really difficult. And I think it's at that tipping point that the owner-founder needs to be looking at other people in the organisation to be carrying that mantle. Um, and that's when the role of line managers becomes especially important about how do they engage, inspire, motivate people in the same way the owner-founder did in the early days. We'll come back to Jill's point about the importance of line managers when we look at some case studies a bit later on. For now, though, it's clear that organisations need to keep employee engagement at the heart of their business, whichever stage of growth they've reached. However, the CIPD research has identified one particular stage 
when employers really do need to sharpen their focus on engagement. Jill Miller. I think when an organisation is um, entering the emerging organisation stage, so the second stage of our model, this is when attention really needs to focus on what's keeping people engaged and how engagement drivers are changing over time. As an SME grows in size, the workforce is increasing. I think it becomes increasingly difficult to maintain people's connection and engagement with the original founding vision and values of the organisation. And that really does require significant attention to keep that in place. People management has a vital role to play in driving long-term organisational performance and maintaining engagement, whatever the size of the company. But as Jill Miller said, it's essential to understand which growth stage you're in and to make sure you have the HR resources and processes in place to sustain the business as it grows into future stages. So as a HR professional working in an SME, I think it's really important to identify in the model which stage of SME growth or development that you're currently at. And then to be looking ahead to the next tipping point or the next inflection point to see what kind of challenges and opportunities are on the horizon for you. And then to be thinking about what could you put in place now to address some of those issues that are going to make your growth sustainable over time. Leslie Cotton is HR Director for P&O Ferries. With an annual turnover of around a billion pounds, P&O can hardly be described as an SME. But Leslie gained her wealth of HR experience in far smaller businesses too, including Homes Place Health Clubs and Paramount Restaurants. As she explained to me, during her time at Homes Place, the organisation was working towards selling the business. So how did she keep the workforce engaged under such difficult circumstances? There's no doubt if you're in a private equity business and it's moving towards a sale process that you, you could argue that engagement could be under threat because at the same point as trying to maintain motivation, you're also looking at your cost base and most businesses in, in parallel are going through a redundancy programme, which we were, we were restructuring the office, and that's never easy. But due to the fact that we had focused on this sort of engaging program of how do we improve customer service, which which ended in we, our measure was going to be an external award, which we achieved, and we achieved awards in the actual industry itself for sort of turnaround health club of the year. So I think we, we'd got a foundation of a very positive relationship with our people. We also, it's got to be authentic and believable. We did promote, you know, open and honest communication. And yes, to, you know, your question, was it at risk? Yes, it was, um, because you're also trying to do some quite difficult things at the same time. But we had a, a strong relationship with the, with the staff uh, and therefore the consultation process and the exit process was less painful. I mean, it's always painful because change, people fear change and the unknown, and we didn't feel great about that. But if you're in private equity, you know that nine times out of ten is going to happen. Uh, but, of course, the staff themselves don't really think about that. So it's, it's how do you get them through that? And, yes, at that point, you, know, you could argue it, the engagement piece is under threat, but I think it pays dividends as to how you've behaved in the past. Um, and knowing the sort of timeline towards the exit is important so you can really pace what is it we need to do to get the business, no, not just financially, but in terms of the mindset of the people to the right place to, to manage that. But would she have adopted a different strategy if the business had simply been expanding through growth rather than evolving through a change of ownership? To answer the question, I don't think there's a huge amount of difference, to be honest. I think, you know, people are people and I think there's some core values 
you know, how you like to be treated yourself. I, I think clearly you could argue in a growth situation it's easier because people are on a high and there's no doubt trying to manage a, a shrinking situation. It's, it's tougher times. But I think in terms of the growth scenario, yes, you could argue you've, you've got an open door to engagement because people are in a, a positive frame of mind. They can see the opportunities. But equally, they're seeing themselves becoming their their body of people becoming bigger. They get more distant, perhaps, mm. from the original founders of an organisation or the power base. People can yeah. start to feel quite detached from what they thought they were holding on to, can't they? Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think there is the fear of the unknown. It's like, oh, my goodness, what's my job now? Uh, yes. And I do think that one of the key elements to that has got to be um, thought through in terms of management development and and the coaching and leadership you know you go very much into a leadership scenario and what what are the skills required and making people feel comfortable about that I mean I remember when I got got to Morgan the layer below the board they were like sponges they just wanted to learn so you still want to hold on to that entrepreneurial edge that flair for product but yeah as you grow if you don't put some framework around it you create chaos and I think there's a balance between holding on to what we believe in and getting behind reminding people around the vision and the values and in fact at home space we've got people to vote for the values so that we didn't impose values so I think it's holding on to what you believe in and 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 almost just keep repeating the same messages because people need to hear things a lot of times at least eight times for it to become a habit upskill them at the same time so they don't feel threatened and have the fear of the unknown and try not to lose the individuality that that person brings to the job. But the big thing is, if you step too far back when it's growing, you will create chaos. So I think there's a real fine line. Leslie's experience has also taught her to spot the warning signs that employee engagement might need particular attention. Clearly there are measures and you know, we, we do surveys and we look at results, but good business leaders, you don't necessarily have to be in HR, but good business leaders will inherently know when something's not right. It's quite intangible, isn't it? It's like the spirit of the organisation. Yeah, and, and, you know, a strong a strong leader, leading by example, will be out in the business. You won't be sat behind a desk. Visibility. Yeah, so you'll be, you know, testing the temperature, if you like, just by purely being in the locations, in the sites, talking to the people, listening to the messages. I think you have to then have a natural filter system because you hear an awful lot of things that you have to filter through. What's the nub of the issue versus... The general moans and groans that people like to share and express, but that's also important because people want to get things off their chest. So I think you do have to have an internal filter system, but you can inherently tell. And it's not always, you know, some people will say measuring absence. You know, we have, I'm in a, in a bigger business at the moment with, with P&O Ferries. You know, we have very low turnover and we don't have a, a problem necessarily with, with absence. But I would be naive to think that means high levels of motivation and everybody was 120% engaged. I think I'd be naive to think that. You know, we, we have a very loyal workforce, but that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't still work hard at improving communication and engagement and, um, you know, people striving to uh, improve the business. Cougar Automation is an engineering company that supplies industrial control and management systems. In simple terms, they write software and they design engineering. And they have about 80 people in five locations across the country. Clive Hutchinson has been company leader at Cougar since 2001. And in that time, he's helped to build it into an award-winning business that's now widely recognised for outstanding values, culture and sometimes radical management methods. I met up with Clive at a recent CIPD conference and asked him about the Cougar approach to engagement. It's absolutely central to everything we do. The thing we've started trying to do um, maybe eight or nine years ago was get a competitive advantage by delivering great customer service and 
being engineers, we don't really understand people very well. But a year or two into that, we started to realise that maybe people enjoying their work and being engaged might have been a good thing. So eventually the penny dropped. But from then on in, actually, we've become real zealots about it. And, and, and really, that is the core to everything we do, is for people to be engaged. And We've been very lucky and, and learned from people who've been there and done it before and have been very generous and shared their experiences and their knowledge. And one of the things that we learned was um, this idea of people playing to their strengths, which is an embarrassingly simple concept, really. It's, it's almost embarrassing talking about it because basically just saying that, well, if we're all different, then why don't we just let people at work do things that they really enjoy doing? the kind of stuff that when you're doing it, you're just completely absorbed in it, time flies by, um, because we're much more productive when we do that and we're much happier than when we're doing those jobs we don't like and we can't settle to it and we keep going making cups of coffee and and interrupting everyone else and checking the email again and, and just kind of nothing gets done. And, uh, and that's almost the core to what we do, is set people free so we don't manage them as such, we support them to really do the best they can and do the things that they love doing. Giving employees that much autonomy sounds exciting, but has it always worked well as the company expanded? And if so, how did they make that work? Here's Clive Hutchinson again. I think that's the conventional wisdom, and I like to do things differently, I suppose. <laughs> and that's why we do things differently at Cougar, is that, you know, I won't accept the kind of that's the received wisdom, so that's what it must be like, you know. For me... It doesn't have to be like that at all. So kind of what we're trying to do is we're trying to find what is it that we could do differently that could actually allow you to have both things together, be a big company and be exactly like being a small company at the same time. How do you do that? That's the holy grail, isn't it? Well, it it is the holy grail and we haven't got all the answers, it has to be said. Um, But one of the key things we've done is just organise the way we do things so that actually people are grouped together in small teams the way they would be if they were a small company. So I used to work on the other side of the fence, if you like, from Cougar Automation. I used to buy the services that we do from Cougar and many other competitors of Cougar's. And it was always apparent to me that the companies that would give the best service, do the best job, and also were cheapest, were small companies of five to ten people. So then when I came in to take over running Cougar 10 or 11 years ago... There was a real challenge for me in thinking that, well, I know it's the small companies, smaller than Cougar was at the moment with maybe 30 people that are, going to, that are delivering the better service and are cheaper, more cost effective. And also, you know, what I'm going to try and do is grow this company to be even bigger than it is. So heading in the wrong direction. So we've structured ourselves now that it's, it's highly autonomous project teams. Um, you know, we have, a, we have a slogan in the business, your team, your business. Um, and they can see the financial results all the time, down to the level of their team, even down to individual projects. And we don't tell them how to do it because then they can't take responsibility. They work it out for themselves. And then as we've grown geographically, you know, rather than doing it all from one big office with 80 people in, we've deliberately opened offices dotted around in different parts of the countryside. So, you know, in a typical office will have two, three or four teams in it. Um, so at that level, it's very autonomous incredibly autonomous each each office does its own thing in its own region and then the teams within that have huge amounts of freedom as well it sounds like a fantastic business model for a company with 80 people but will it still work if the company grows to say four times its current size clive again if you just simply say to yourself does it work better if you've got a group of five to ten people doing it and if the answer to that is yes 
I'm just a simple soul. I kind of go, well, why, why can't we find a way of making that work when we've got a thousand people? Because ultimately what we're saying is, you know, in a, in a small owner-managed business, there's a set of conditions that make that more successful than a big business in some senses, and that's why they grow. Why can't we replicate that? And so the team leader has to have that sense of being the owner-manager, and everyone needs to be involved in everything rather than splitting it up into departments the way they had in that smaller thing. At Cougar, they keep employee engagement high by keeping their business units small, no matter how big the wider business becomes. These small teams enjoy a great deal of autonomy, but it's also key to the strategy that they stay engaged with the wider organisation too. Clive Hutchinson. We're very, very clear about what we stand for and how we do things in a sort of a, a philosophical sense, if that's not too grand a word, which it probably is for a company of 80 people. You know, so we're very, very clear, and, and this is very explicit. We've even got you know special diagrams that we've drawn that show this kind of thing. We're there to achieve 10 out of 10 service from our customers. We survey the customers, so 10 out of 10 is what we're aiming for, perfection, if you like. Um, we want everyone in the business to be happy and fulfilled. That's an explicit part of the vision, and we want to eliminate all waste, basically get rid of things that are unnecessary or don't have to be done. So that's a clear vision. So everyone we ask, this is your job, is to do that. And then we say, find ways of playing to your strengths to do that. So use strengths to achieve that. And then we have some underlying sort of pillars and and values that we have. So things like freedom and trust, the fact that managers are there to give support rather than to kind of control and supervise people feedback in an objective way so what the customers say so you know we survey the customers we get all the financial results are out there and then we have underlying values even sitting underneath that so that is all very very explicit uh, and is a given and that that's kind of what the broader company brings Um, and what we're trying to do is create lots of small units that live and breathe that. Hazel Stimson is head of HR at Harrod UK a leading supplier of sports equipment and nets. They're official suppliers to Wembley Stadium, England Hockey and England Netball. The business currently employs 110 people and like Cougar, Harrod have found that their company values and their mission statement are really central to keeping everyone engaged. Things like the mission and the vision, it changes over time. The reason it changes is because of what's happening with the business, where we're going external factors but also it changes because what people on the shop floor have said they want so the wording might change the ethos of it might change but it's come from the shop floor the idea that the opinions of the staff really matter has been intrinsic to maintaining employee engagement at harrod and it's also had a profound effect on the success of the business back in the late 80s harrod uk reached a crisis point and management drafted in a business consultant to carry out a cultural audit. Now, that process reveals some interesting ideas from the shop floor that have gone on to have a really big impact on the very nature of the business. Here's Hazel Stimson again. People didn't know where we were. They didn't know what we were doing, where we were going, had no idea about the financials of the company. They thought they were doing okay. So the consultant started um, bringing in... Team training, looked at Belbin makeup of teams and we tried to get people matched to what they want, realised that people had talents that weren't being used at work. They were bored. And if you're bored, you're not going to perform as well as you can. And the company diversified as well. Back in the 
early 2000s to sell horticultural items by mail order. And this came really from that tipping point earlier, that, that crisis point. When the consultant came in, he got people on the shortfall to think, the strip back, what do we really do? And at that time, we didn't have the horticultural division, we just had the sports. And we make posts, we make nets, which I used for goals of footballs. What other use can we have for them? Fruit cages. And the horticultural division was born. And that was 2002. And now the horticultural division is going to be half the turnover of the company. And then that leads to, OK, if we do that, how else can we grow? And so that all plays into engagement. Around. It does. As the CIPD's Dr Jill Miller pointed out earlier on, line managers, as the main point of contact between employees and business leaders, play a vital role in maintaining engagement. With larger teams, the skills and capabilities of managers become of paramount importance. But maintaining strong engagement with the organisation's purpose and vision can become more challenging as the distance between the founder or current owner and the workforce increases. I asked Hazel how line managers are trained to promote engagement at Harrod. They have a very difficult job. They're getting pressures from people on the shop floor. They're getting pressures from above. So it's managing, really balancing act for them. We're going through a programme of training the managers, having some external training on their management development skills and the way they can tease out of their employees how they can perform, what they need to do differently to get the results that the company needs and that the shop floor have said that the company needs. But it is ongoing. Um, a lot of it is coaching as well as things come up, mentoring. So, for example, the manufacturing director has a very close relationship with the finishing manager, the manufacturing manager, the logistics manager. And as issues come up, they can maybe talk over them with him first. So very much involved in what's going on. So, plenty to take away from those case studies on how to grow and maintain employee engagement as a small business expands, and one key lesson around the idea of an evolving and shared management philosophy. Here's Clive Hutchinson from Cougar again. There's a lot of talk about culture, and it's a very intangible thing, but, I mean, you know, it's kind of like just, you know, the definition I like is, is it's the way we do things around here. And it's kind of like, you know, we've worked hard to get where we are in terms of understanding what we're trying to achieve. We're not perfect by any means, and we don't do it perfectly all the time. We then bring people in who share that view, and we keep working at it. You know, if people aren't seen to be living by those values, you don't need a management structure to reinforce that. It becomes a very uncomfortable place. And and certainly, you know, you know when I've read about companies that deliver exceptional, extraordinary service, that's usually one of the things that's said about them is that they have a very, very particular culture. And while everyone from the outside might go, I'd love to work there, actually, if the wrong people get in that don't share that kind of view, actually, they get ejected very quickly and they didn't enjoy it. They're surprised. Uh, and I suspect we're a bit like that. You know, so someone who really liked a lot of structure and a lot of direction, um, I suspect they'd hate working at Google Automation. For HRs in SMEs, it's critical to keep an eye on where the business is going because, as we all know, change is the new normal, whether you're in control of that change or not. Here's Leslie Cotton again. 
You have to run a almost a twin track approach, really. There's the day-to-day delivery, and there is where are we heading, what's it going to look like. I mean, I think the world changed for, for most of us in 2008. Um, certainly where I'm at the moment, we're still feeling the, the pain of that. You know, we're 60% of our business is, is freight, uh, and it, it's tough times. But that doesn't mean you can't reinvent yourself, even with a business that's been around for 175 years, which, you know, the P&O brand has. And keep your people engaged, even though they know... It's a t- it's a tight time, yeah, a threatening time. Absolutely, um, and and I'm not saying for one minute it's easy, particularly in a you know in a business that has a lot of sort of tradition and heritage and, and legacy. But you know you've also got a lot of loyalty and you've got a lot of belief and a lot of passion, and it's how you pull on that to really get people behind. We need a, to be here for the future, and this is how we're going to do it. So I think if you you know if you miss the opportunity to have your eye on the future, then um, you know that that's not going to bode well for anybody so it's how you do the day-to-day plus you know see see ahead as you say so it's striking that balance between preservation and evolution absolutely that's it for this month join me next time when we'll be looking at how hrs can use analytics to make sure their voices are heard loud and clear when it comes to organizational strategy you've been listening to the cipd podcast series.